2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 1 to 3, verse 5. Now concerning the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, and our being gathered together to him, we ask you, brothers, not to be quickly shaken in mind, or alarmed, either by a spirit or a spoken word, or a letter seeming to be from us, to the effect that the day of the Lord has come. Let no one deceive you in any way, for that day will not come unless the rebellion comes first, and the man of lawlessness is revealed, the son of destruction, who opposes and exalts himself against every so-called God or object of worship, so that he takes his seat in the temple of God, proclaiming himself to be God. Do you not remember that when I was with you, I told you these things? And you know what is restraining him now, so that he may be revealed in his time. For the mystery of lawlessness is already at work, Only he who now restrains it will do so until he is out of the way. Then the lawless one will be revealed, whom the Lord Jesus will kill with the breath of his mouth and bring to nothing by the appearance of his coming. The coming of the lawless one is by the activity of Satan, with all power and false signs and wonders, and with all wicked deception for those who are perishing, because they refuse to love the truth and so be saved. Therefore God sends them a strong delusion, so that they may believe what is false, in order that all may be condemned who did not believe the truth, but had pleasure in unrighteousness. But we ought always to give thanks to God for you, brothers beloved by the Lord, because God chose you as the first fruits to be saved, through sanctification by the Spirit and belief in the truth. To this he called you, through our gospel, so that you may obtain the glory of our Lord Jesus Christ. So then, brothers, stand firm and hold to the traditions that you were taught by us, either by our spoken word or by our letter. Now may our Lord Jesus Christ himself and God our Father, who loved us and gave us eternal comfort and good hope through grace, comfort your hearts and establish them in every good work and word. Finally, brothers, pray for us that the word of our Lord may speed ahead and be honoured as happened among you, and that we may be delivered from wicked and evil men. For not all have faith, but the Lord is faithful. He will establish you and guard you against the evil one. And we have confidence in the Lord about you, that you are doing and will do the things that we command. May the Lord direct your hearts to the love of God and to the steadfastness of Christ. George has uh, read for us, and uh, let's make a start. Everyone knows a fake news story, don't they? I mean, it's been quite popular on Facebook lately, but every, everyone knows what a fake looks like, surely. They can spot a lie, can't they? But why did Facebook need to invest in such a huge campaign to help users spot hoax news reports? Everyone knows a hoax, don't they? Everyone knows a fake. Let me tell you about Mary. Uh, It was before the days of Facebook, um, up in Leeds. Uh, She became famous. I'll tell you why. Um, There was a a report that eggs being laid by one hen on her farm had inscribed on them the phrase, Jesus is coming, on each, each one the hen laid. Well, you don't need me to tell you that it was later found to be a hoax by Mary, who had written on each egg using acid, and don't ask me how, 
managed to reinsert them into the chicken so that every egg that came out had Jesus is coming on it. Well, now, we might think that's hilarious and stupid. How could people possibly fall for something like that? And people obviously thought this is, you know, this is going to happen very soon because of this mystery egg situation. Everyone knows a fake, don't they? Well, actually, no. And this is the point. Ordinary people, like you and me, they get sucked in to lies. I don't know if you've had a phishing scandal or someone ring you up trying to get your bank details. You know, ordinary people get suckered into lies. And actually, verse 1 tells us that Paul is writing to Christians for that very same reason. He hasn't changed subjects. He's still talking about the coming of Jesus, as he was in chapter 1. But he wants to root out a lie. And it's unsettling the Christians there. He says this in verse 1 and 2. Let's read together. Now concerning the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ and our being gathered together to him, we ask you, brothers, not to be quickly shaken in mind or alarmed, either by a spirit or a spoken word or a letter seeming to be from us, to the effect that the day of the Lord has come. They've swallowed this lie whole, and it might be because it came in the form of a letter A fraudulent letter claiming to be from Paul. The apostle, Paul. But it wasn't from him. And the letter told them that Jesus is coming. Well, it isn't coming. It's been and gone. And if true, this would be devastating for the church and the Christians there. Because none of the relief or justice that we saw last week from evil, well, none of that is waiting for them. And Jesus, well, he was either not able to deliver them from it, or he just didn't care about them. So this lie is enough to make them give up on him altogether. We've seen that the threat is a lie. Let's move this on. Sorry. We've seen that the threat is a lie, and the lie is that Jesus has returned already. That's the lie we're dealing with here. And as the lie involves timing, in the next ten verses, Paul walks them through, gets out his pen, and draws a quick timeline for them to help them to understand the events that they can expect to see before that day comes. And we're going to see this, really, is our main point, that Jesus has the last true word. We're going to get to that in a minute. Let's look at verse 3 onwards. It says, Let no one deceive you in any way, for that day will not come, Unless the rebellion comes first and the man of lawlessness is revealed, the son of destruction. So here's our timeline. The day of the Lord has not come. And before it does, two things will happen. There'll be a period of time called here the rebellion. And with it, the coming of a man. Here he is. Now, this is where mystery leaves us itching to know who this guy will be. He's an international man of mystery, I mean lawlessness, okay? And he's actually, even though we're wondering who he is, he isn't nameless. Uh, We see that, don't we? He's given two names. The man of lawlessness, the son of destruction. 
The first name, the man of lawlessness, well, it tells us his game plan to reject and oppose every law, any law, whether moral or religious or instigated by God. And the second name, the son of destruction, well, this tells us where he and those who were with him in his, his followers will end up. Uh, we'll get to that a bit later on. But we're also told in verse 4 exactly what he'll be doing. He opposes and exalts himself against every so-called God or object of worship, so that he takes his seat in the temple of God, proclaiming himself to be God. Attention, please. He will want all attention to be on him, and as such, he won't tolerate people's attention being anywhere else. Those who are already living for something other than God, well, they'll be easy pickings for him. And I don't think this is just for irreligious people. This is for, uh, for religious people too. He will set himself up in the temple. They're gonna, religious people will uh, be attracted to him. And having described his identity and his activities, in verse 5, Paul returns to his timeline. Reminding the Christians what they already know. Let's, let's read verse 5. It says, Do you not remember that when I was with you, I told you these things? And you know what is restraining him now, so that he may be revealed in his time. Uh, these are uh, timing words. So, the man of lawlessness is revealed. What is restraining him now until he is out of the way? The mystery of lawless already at work. But then later on it says, uh, only he who now restrains it will do so until he is out of the way and then the lawless one will be revealed. So these are all timing things, aren't they? These are all stages that have got to happen before the lawless man is revealed. And that's where we got to. So there's the true timeline. Paul's laying it out for them. Uh, well actually it's not quite because actually we all know that the final scene in any film is usually the most significant and this final scene is no different either let's read from verse 8 it says and then the lawless one will be revealed whom the Lord Jesus will kill with the breath of his mouth and bring to nothing by the appearance of his coming here he is the lawless one revealed the coming of Jesus. And we see this. Jesus has the last true word. And actually his word of truth. Well it brings lies to an end. We see that don't we. The breath of his mouth. I don't know. Okay I'm speaking to you now. I'll speak to you afterwards. Breath and using your mouth. Usually results in some kind of speaking. Words. And it says that Jesus, with the breath of his mouth, he will put an end to him, this man. Because all that man relies on is lies. And so all Jesus needs to do is open his mouth and the lies will unravel. Everything that the man is relying on. And, and all of the people who are in this rebellion will end. And Jesus has the last true word. It brings an, an end to deception. And all the lawless man's work in verse 9 will be seen as the activity of Satan, who's the chief liar, which is why it relies on wicked deception, such as false miracles and those kind of things. 
And as I said, all Jesus will need to do is open his mouth. So he might say, well, you've got lots of people to worship you as God, but I am the Lord. He might say, you tried to deceive God's people and tell them they were abandoned, but they are mine. All he needs to do is speak, and all of those lies will unravel. So this is great for God's people. Obviously, we understand that there will be lies, and there will be things that uh, are there to try and put Christians off balance, and cause them to wobble, and to believe instead. But the one leading the rebellion against God, well, he faces judgment. We see that, don't we? And so too, in verse 10, will be anyone he was able to convince. Let's read from verse 10. And with all wicked deception for those who are perishing because they refuse to love the truth and so be saved. His following will be those who, had, who once heard the truth and yet they refused it. And the reason given for this fatal choice later on in verse uh, 12 is that they did not believe the truth but had pleasure in unrighteousness. They preferred fleeting pleasures and immorality to the truth. Simple swap. That's something true. I think I'm going to go for that instead. So there it is, the true timeline of the end events that Paul is explaining to them. Jesus will have the last true word and all lies and deception will be exposed and ended. Jesus' return is certain and final. But what is yet to be revealed is whose side people like you and me will take. What will we do with the truth that we've heard? Will we believe it or will we refuse it? Paul's writing to Christians who have accepted the truth. They're probably feeling quite embarrassed for getting fooled. And in verse 13 and 14, he encourages them by reminding them of their certain identity. They are God's children. If you like, it's their true timeline. Can you see there? They're chosen in verse 13. They have been called in the next verse. They are being transformed and they will obtain the glory of our Lord Jesus Christ. They will be welcomed into God's kingdom because of what he has done for them in Jesus. Uh, but Paul doesn't stop just at encouragement. He's not just there just to um, sort of make them feel a little bit less silly. His prayer in verse 16 and 17 is that God would, work, would both comfort them and establish them. In work and word. And we see that. This is the next thing. From verse 16. He wants them to hold on. To the truth. And hold out the truth. Hold on to the truth. And hold out the truth. Let's read verse 16. It says. Now may our Lord Jesus Christ himself. And God our Father who loved us. And gave us eternal comfort. And good hope through grace. Comfort your hearts. And establish them in every good work and word. This every good work and word has actually come up before in this letter. It's there back in one, chapter 1 verse 11 for your notes. It says that God may fulfill every result for good and every work of faith by his power. And if you're unconvinced that this is where Paul is headed, flip, flick over to the rest of chapter 3. 
and we see faith in action. And so having picked themselves up, they are to keep exercising. Not to become flabby. They're to keep exercising their faith. Paul expects that a restored truth about Jesus' return and when it's going to happen, well, it will give them a greater desire in two ways. The first is that they'll want to hold on to that truth. They want to keep hold of it. They won't want other people to take it from them. They want to keep on seeing what God's word says and listening to the truth. That's the first thing. It says in verse 15, So then, brothers, stand firm and hold to the traditions that you were taught by us, either by our spoken word or by our letter. The second thing then, holding out the truth. First thing is seeing it as important for them, but the second thing is to see it important for others as well. In verse, uh, th- chapter 3, verses 1 to 5, it says, Finally, brothers, pray for us that the word of the Lord may speed ahead and be honoured, as happened among you, and that we may be delivered from wicked and evil men. You see, believing the return of Jesus is about wanting others to know it too. We can't really say we believe it's going to happen if we don't have any desire for others to know about it. And here, Paul encourages them to pray that the word of the Lord would speed to new places, the truth would go out and be honoured by the people that hear it. Believing something and praying about it go together. I'm not saying that everyone who prays is a Christian. But what you believe will come through in what you pray for. And the Bible is clear, Christians will want to pray for others to have the truth about Jesus' return. In that verse, his remark in verse 1, or verse 2, it says, As happened among you. So this is not complicated, it's simply asking God to do for others what he did for you. God, please, repeat. Press repeat, do that for them. The same thing that you did for us. And Paul is believing the faithful Lord will do this for them. Let's read the last three verses. It says, but the Lord is faithful, in verse 3. He will establish you and guard you against the evil one. And we have confidence in the Lord about you that you are doing and will do the things that we command. God will establish and guard them against Satan's lies. And they will continue to live out the truth that they believe. And Paul finishes his earlier prayer for their hearts. And with a confident request that God will direct their hearts to his unchanging love. In verse 5 it says, May the Lord direct your hearts to the love of God and the steadfastness of Christ. The one thing that will hold you firm is knowing the love of God in Jesus. Knowing how unchanging that is. So um, we've been hearing about the truth about Jesus' coming return in these chapters. But what will it, uh, and what it will mean, the question left for all of us here is, what will we do with that truth? And maybe um, you wouldn't call yourself a Christian, uh, but you're, you are uncomfortable with the idea that you could be being deceived about God, and you could be facing God's judgment. You can see that the things that you've lived for, other than God, have led, led you down the wrong track. 
You might be wondering what, the, what is a good next step. Why not take the opportunity tonight to talk to God in prayer and talk to others about what you've heard? Start a conversation with God about it. Admit that you haven't wanted anything to do with him before. Ask that he gives you a new heart to love and accept the truth about him. Maybe you're here because, you know, that's what Christians do. They go to church. Yeah? The return of Jesus might not feature in our thinking or in what you pray for. And maybe you'll be honest enough to admit that you've not done anything about the truth you've been hearing all this time. It might be a shock to hear that this might be God's judgment. Why not talk to him about that? And what if, like the Thessalonians, you have believed the truth? Well, there will be times when confusing and unsettling messages come your way. And sometimes it may even be from churches and church leaders. You will need to hold firmly to the truth in the Bible, handed down to you by people like Paul. Don't be deceived. Stand firm on the truth. Hold on to the truth. But don't just guard it. Exercise your faith by asking God to make that same truth known to others. Pray regularly for gospel work. That's what Paul's saying. Pray for us. And pray for gospel workers, people sharing the truth about Jesus. Pray that the word of God would spread and be honoured by those who hear it. And ask God how he would have you involved in that work. You might know that this church meets new people on our estate twice a week, every week. Maybe that's how some of you came to know about this church. Why don't you ask God uh, what he would have you do as part of the truth going out to others? Hold on to the truth. Hold it out to other people. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you for your truth. Thank you that it doesn't change. Uh, There is a firm foundation. Thank you that it's the same truth that we'll hear from the mouth of Jesus. Uh, when he returns. Thank you that it's the truth that will dispel all the lies um, of people thinking they are above God, above you, and that people should worship them, or perhaps we should even worship ourselves. Uh, Thank you that you are the true God and that you want us to know that. Pray that we would respond to you rightly from what we've heard this evening. Amen. Thank you.